Okay, tonight <clears throat> we're making our way through. We, we are going pretty quickly as we get to the New Testament and um, there we go. Making our way into 2 Corinthians. So um, there will be probably by the end of, before we get to Revelation, there'll be a few books that we'll probably combine because they're one chapter books like Philemon and Jude and the three, uh, three John letters. And um, so at some point we'll probably combine some of those together. But at any rate, um, 2 Corinthians and then the next few letters are not real long. There's six, six and six and four and four um, chapters each, but there's a lot in those books. And so we'll probably do one, uh, one per night on, on those. But at any rate, um, tonight we're in 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians is definitely follow up, a good bit of follow up from 1 Corinthians as we studied it last week. If you were able to, if you were with us or if you're able to hear it, um, last week we talked about how the church at Corinth had so many problems. Um, they had a lot of things going on that, that weren't good, and Paul wrote to them to correct some of the problems that they were dealing with. And when he gets to 2 Corinthians, apparently they did as a church. They got a lot of these things uh, straightened out with the Lord, and, and uh, the Lord was blessing the, that church there at Corinth. And, but it, for, the, for the most part, we looked at last week and talked about how their main problem was they were just very self-centered church, and um, it was showing and, and manifesting in the problems that they were dealing with. But we'll see tonight where um, you see a lot of progress from the first to the second letter. This uh, book is, um, when you read through it, it's the most personal letter that Paul writes, other than maybe Galatians. But Galatians is only six chapters. It's not near as long. But Paul, this is basically a lot of people consider this Paul's autobiography because uh, there are several places in here that Paul mentions about himself, especially when we see chapter 11 tonight, the things that he went through um, in serving the Lord. And he's not bragging on himself by any means, but he's just letting them know as an apostle the things that he went through um, uh, for them as a church to understand that. And so because of the fact that it's a follow-up to 1 Corinthians with all the problems that they had to deal with, and because it's such a personal letter from Paul, uh, this has been called, I've, had, I've seen several different writers refer to this as maybe, maybe not use the exact same phrase, but pretty much the same thing. It's basically a biblical man, a manual for ministry because the problems that he addressed, that he writes follow-up in 2 Corinthians, it's a, it's a follow-up. It's commending them for their, you know, showing their trust in the Lord, commending them for getting some of these problems straightened out. And, and so uh, it's a very personal book. And so I really, um, you know, I don't know if I really have a favorite book of the Bible. I probably say that for a lot of them, but um, I really do love Second Corinthians because of how personal it is. So anyway, there are thirteen chapters in it. Luke's time of writing the book of Acts is fifty-eight to sixty A.D. Now, probably after this week, I won't include that date anymore. That should be kind of, you know, become kind of automatic to you after time. But his the time of the actual events of Acts was thirty-three to sixty-five A.D. So in the third missionary journey, when we studied Acts, we looked on our, on our um, PowerPoint slides. I broke down the, the missionary journeys, and then some call his trip to Rome a fourth missionary journey. Um, and you can call it that, it's, you know, because he definitely was ministering, serving the Lord as he went. But this was uh, written during his third mini uh, missionary journey, somewhere around 58 A.D. And he wrote several books then, um, and we'll see when we get to Galatians and uh, that that's one of them too. But he wrote several books on that third journey. And so roughly the time of writing is roughly about 58, maybe 59 AD. Might have been, you know, towards the end of that missionary journey after he had um, wrote first to them. And I believe last week, I can't remember if I had the number, I had to correct it maybe, that I had a wrong number on the screen. But I think 1 Corinthians was about a year before. It was about 57. So about a year later, he writes the second letter. Just a very easy, brief outline, dividing up the 13 chapters into three main parts. And I kind of alliterated it a little bit to kind of help give you an idea in your mind of what these chapters are about, what the book is about. Chapters 1 to 7, he talks about kind of as overall as you look at the book, uh, those chapters in the book, is the comfort that the Lord ministered. That shouldn't be an apostrophe, should it? English teacher. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, ministers to us. I think I was putting something else in there and I ended up using a different word. So the Lord ministers to us 
um, then eight to nine is actually two chapters on, on what we will call grace giving. We'll get to that when we get to chapters eight and nine and spend a little time actually there in our um, GP, uh, going off our GPS a little bit for a scenic route. And then chapters 10 to 13 are the calling on Paul's life for ministry. And those are the chapters where he's the most personal um, about his life. So that's just kind of a breakdown, minus the misspelling, a uh, breakdown of, um, of, the, of the book. So let's look at these chapters, kind of overview each of these, and then we'll, then we'll look at some highlights. That There's so much deep stuff in these 13 chapters. There's so much in there. The first chapter is the key to ministry, which is uh, suffering. And I'm not going to go into a lot about it right now because when we get to the end um, of our book, when we look at, you know, we, we always highlight verses at the end. And uh, some of the verses that we'll be highlighting are chapter 1, verse 3, through about verse 5 or 6 there. And so we'll come back to that. But nevertheless, the key to ministry is suffering, which seems very odd to us. But uh, as Paul makes it very clear in these verses of three to five, and we'll come back to that in a, few, in a little bit, that the Lord allows us sometimes the things we go through, He allows in our life that it may not be the only reason that we go through them, but ultimately one of the reasons is to help and comfort others in times of need, in times of trouble, who go through some of the same things we do. Now, when you really look down, uh, you know, kind of boil it down to the time frame which you wrote this, particularly it had to do with the suffering that they went through for persecution. Some of them personally maybe have gone through some. Some of them they may have watched family members suffer or even you know, be martyred for their faith. And so Paul says the things we go through, God wants to use that in our life to minister to other people, to comfort them in their time of need. We'll come back to those verses as I mentioned. So um, the first chapter deals with uh, suffering. Second chapter is the spirit of ministry, which is forgiveness. When you get over to chapter 2, um, I don't know if I have this have this on our highlight verses um, later on. But when you get to chapter 2, we see where he talks about um, forgiving it. Verse, I tell you what, pick up at verse 5. But if, if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in, in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Put a pen there, I'll come back to that. So that contrarywise, you ought to rather forgive him than comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. He's referring to when he wrote the first um, letter in chapter 5, there was a man that was sleeping with his stepmother. And he was dealing with that. And he confronted the church about that in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. And uh, said, you know, you should be taking care of this thing. But he said, instead... um, you know, news of this has gone everywhere. People are hearing about it, and you're not taking care of this. And so apparently from the time he wrote that letter to the time he writes 2 Corinthians, that got straightened out. In fact, apparently the man that was, um, you know, was, was the guilty one he was writing about got things right with the Lord because it says there that um, you ought to uh, forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. And so um, then he goes on and talks about forgiveness, verse 9 and 10. For to this end... Also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. So in other words, Paul says, you know, um, I commend you for this. This got straightened out and, you know, Lord bless you for it. So um, he's talking about forgiveness there. And again, that refers to the man in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, Paul's writing uh, about that. Uh, excuse me. So get moving on to chapter three, the proof of ministry is transformation. He spent some time in chapter three talking about the uh, transforming power of God's word. And um, he uses the example at the, by the end of that chapter uh, of Moses when he went up um, to uh, meet the Lord on the mount uh, to get the Ten Commandments. That's chapter three starting about verse 10 or 11, when he went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from the Lord, when he come down, he had to put a veil over his face because just coming out of the presence of the Lord, his face was shining so bright, shining so bright, they couldn't even look on him. And so he says, um, he uses that and says, in the same way, we're changed one image from glory to glory. Basically what he's telling them, as you grow in grace as a Christian, and you grow from one, one step to another and, and growing in grace. Uh, let, me, let me see where he, uh, the last two verses. 
And that where the spirit, uh, the Lord is that spirit, where the spirit of the Lord, there's liberty, verse 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. So the Lord's growing us in grace. And as he does, uh, we may not see it, but people around us, well, they'll, they'll see when we're growing in grace as a Christian, they'll be able to see it. And uh, Paul writes in the book of Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, and they'll be able to see that in our lives. We may not be able to see it, but the Lord, uh, others will be able to see the, the fruit that the Lord produces in our life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And so uh, chapter 3 talks about uh, the transformation uh, in our life because of God's Word. Chapter 4 the definition of what ministry about uh, is about, and that is glory. Um, in fact, he says, uh, let's skip it a couple of verses here. We'll be coming back to some of these later. Um, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. But God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So uh, God is, um, as we grow in grace, His glory is show, will show, show through in our life. Just as we mentioned in chapter 3 about Moses, uh, His glory will show through in our lives. And then look how He, um, how he closes it out. Verse 16 of chapter 4. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, this old um, body that gets older every day and, and uh, getting older as time goes by, outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Our spirit and our soul uh, are renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, the things which are not seen are eternal. So um, again, um, chapter 4, uh, the, the theme of that chapter is um, glory. And so we see in verse 17 that uh, the afflictions we go through are, being, are working in our life for an um, exceeding eternal weight of glory. Matches what he said in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good of them that love God them to the call according to his purpose, because in verse 29 of Romans, it's eight, uh, Romans 8, it says he's conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So um, the things in our life that don't seem very glorious, God's bringing, gonna, wants to use those to bring glory out of our life, to glorify himself. Chapter 5, the perspective, perspective of ministry, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. I preached a message on, the, or two messages on this actually, um, one about a couple of months ago, and then another one a couple of weeks ago, like part two about the judgment seat of Christ. And verse 10 of chapter 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive things done, the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So the perspective of ministry should be is to realize that whatever we do uh, while we're here on earth, one day we'll stand before the Lord Jesus and receive reward, or not receive reward, but uh, whatever it may be for in our lives, but receive reward for the things we've done that were good, that glorified Him, and that He was able to use us for His glory in our life. Uh, chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 8 and 9 are about um, the heart of ministry, which is giving. Um, we'll come back to this in just a second. Actually, oh, actually, I think the next slide. But these two chapters together... Paul talks about giving and what many call, and I think a great term for it, is grace giving. Look at, uh, look at with me over the next couple of chapters. Let's look at a few highlights. We won't look at every verse, but let's look at a little bit about this in these chapters. So we're going to stop and take a little time here on these. Verse uh, 1 to 3, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now that's the region where Corinth is, is located close to that on a map. Uh, we should have put one on here on this one. Region of Macedonia and some of the churches in that in that area. Um, do you remember in the book of Acts, in chapter we we went through Acts chapter sixteen is where Paul wanted to go. He wanted to head east and take the gospel, and um, God sent uh, said a man as a likely an angel appeared before him and said for him to come over to Macedonia and help us. 
Paul said, we tried to go east and, got, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. And so we followed that man, um, what is, in fact, uh, it's called the Macedonian call. And we sing it in one of our hymns. We heard the Macedonian call today. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. And that comes from Acts, um, I believe, 16, where um, he ends up in that region in Macedonia. That's how he first gets in touch with the believers at Corinth. And so he says there, um, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, verse 2, how the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they are willing of themselves. And he, he talks about how they gave. These people were not rich by any means, and they, they were themselves in need, and they still gave. I have seen so many times as a pastor in two different churches, I have seen personally how the most people, the most giving that's done, you know, comes from people in God's family. They're giving, um, whether they have very much or not much at all, to others that are in more need. I've seen that over and over and over. Special offerings for people in need, whether it's a family uh, or whether it's some special offering for a missionary, mission ministry. I've seen it over and over and over, and God will always, always bless that um, when it's done for Him. And so He talks about how, you know, in their own affliction, and they had need themselves, they gave to others. Look at verse 5, and it says, here's the key to it. And this they did, not as we'd hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So the key to, to giving um, to the Lord, first He wants us. That's what He's looking for. Give ourselves to Him. I'm not just talking about salvation. Uh, he, he certainly, you know, we just got to begin with salvation. But to give ourselves to Him, to say, Lord, I want to serve You. Lord, uh, let me be Your instrument. Lord, let me be able to do something I can do for You. And so it says they first gave themselves to the Lord. And so in these two chapters, you see Paul talking about giving, giving and he never mentions the word tithe. Tithe is not a bad thing. Tithe means 10%. We find that back in the book of Genesis um, before tithing was even put in the law. You see the word tithe. It simply means 10%. 10% is a great guideline to go by. Uh, but if you can go at some point of, over and above that, that's wonderful. And so Paul, he, uh, in these, these two chapters, he hit, we're going to hit these highlights of what he talks about when it comes to giving and to be able to see it uh, as a ministry. First gave it themselves. Uh, verse 7, grace abounds to those who give. Uh, therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this. Notice he uses that word grace also. So giving um, is grace. Grace, of course, is God gives us um, what we do not deserve. And that's what grace is about And when it comes to giving. We give to others out of love for them. We give to the Lord out of love for Him. And so Grace is the word that, that um, describes a uh, heart of giving, as it should be. Verse 8, uh, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. It proves um, the sincerity of our love uh, for the Lord as we give. Move on quickly. Um, one more verse in chapter 8, and then a, couple, a few verses in chapter 9. Chapter 8, verse 9. And Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example. For you know through the grace, there's a word again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He gave everything. Um, that you know, he gave everything completely for us. He died on the cross, gave his very life, shed his precious blood, died for us. He gave it all. That through what he gave, we would be rich. And of course, that's spiritually rich. It's not financially rich, but we would be rich through what he's given to us. Chapter 9, uh, Finish. Uh, go past the rest of chapter 8 for now to chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. This is a principle all through Scripture. In the book of Galatians, when we get there, Lord willing, next week, um, it says, whatever man sows, he'll also reap. And so Paul says that if we sow uh, sparingly, if we're sparingly with what we give to the Lord, we're going to reap sparingly. But if we sow bountifully, we'll reap bountifully. Now, understand, it can mean that sometimes God will bless us back financially. I believe a lot of times He certainly does that. Because as the saying goes, you can't outgive God. But also, again, remember, we just passed chapter 5, the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be a great reward for giving 
Jesus said in uh, Matthew 6, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust crust, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so one day there will be a blessing uh, for us and reward for us just simply for the obedience. Of now the Lord may do both while we're here. He may do, you know, here and there. And that's wonderful. But what's there it would even, will even outweigh what's here. It may not seem like it now, but it will when we get there. So there's generosity there, the importance of giving. 9-7. Every, uh, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly over necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So um, don't do it in grudging way to give. Well, I'm just going to give because I have to. You know. Or necessity saying, well, I'll give because um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the Lord you know, to give back to me. That's, that's, that shouldn't be our motive. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves one who gives from the heart, just as we saw already and talked about the generosity of it. Then uh, chapter 9 um, yeah, we saw verse 9. That's right. So, no, we saw verse 7. Go to chapter 9. Uh, as is, uh, Verse 9. As is written, he that hath dispersed abroad hath given the poor his righteousness um, remaineth forever. In other words, he's quoting uh, from the Old Testament that principle of, of giving and giving cheerfully. Okay. Grace, of course, is God's unmerited favor. And so... Um, we, we look at these two chapters and we see that gr- word grace over and over and over. And so grace giving um, is, um, is, you know, giving out of a love for God and his unmerited favor towards us, wanting to be able to, you know, pass that on to God and to others as we give. Justice is where the Lord gives a person what they deserve. None of us want that, but he does that. Mercy is where the Lord withholds what we, re- what we really deserve. And then grace, of course, is what he gives us when he gives us what we do not deserve. None of us deserve uh, his grace, but that's why he gives it, because he's a God of grace. Someone well said that you can take and make an acrostic of it. God's riches at uh, Christ's expense. I think that's a good way of of, uh, also looking at grace and what it's all about. Chapter 10, the mind of ministry is obedience. And we'll come back to these verses in just a moment. But he talks about in verse, especially verse 4 uh, and 5, about um, that the, um, our battle, our, our warfare, our battle is not carnal. It's not something with flesh and blood, but it's something that's spiritual. It echoes Ephesians 6. Well, actually, this will be in a slide in a moment, where it says, casting down imaginations, and every high thing exalts against itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought. So our, our battles in life begin usually begin in our mind with our thoughts. And so he talks about the importance of, um, of dealing with that and being obedient in our thoughts. So that's chapter 10. Chapter 11 is the enemy of ministry. And we're going to come back and highlight some of these. That's why I'm going over it kind of quick on some of this. Chapter 11, it talks about the enemy of ministry, and that is... Our enemy, Satan, he, uh, he, is, um, he has his ministers. He has his apostles, and he transforms himself into an angel of light. Chapter 11 tells us, verse. Uh, if you pick up a verse 13, down to verse 15, and we'll come back to that in just a moment also. Chapter 12 is the humility of ministry, and that's simply the grace of God. This chapter has the, the verses that we've heard taught and preached and maybe even memorized from time to time, where... We know in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 9, where he tells Paul that my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so um, chapter 12, uh, Paul is, um, um, is talking about um, a thorn that was given him in the flesh. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But he talks about that and how God gave him the grace to deal with that, to keep him humble um, and not to get proud with all the things God had revealed to him, verse 1. Uh, the things God had revealed to him. Look, I mean, look at all the um, letters he wrote, books of Scripture, you know, books in the Bible, letters of Paul that he wrote. All these things God gave to him. He said, I could get proud, but God sent me this thorn of the flesh. He allowed this thorn of the flesh to keep me from getting proud. So grace kept him humble um, because grace really shows us how much we need the Lord, how much dependent we are on him. Then chapter 13, the power of ministry, and that's weakness. And we see where um, in this chapter, Paul talks about, um, let's see, let's read, um, let's read verse 1 to 4. 
This is the third time I'm coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if, as, uh, if I were present the second time, and being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned, and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. In other words, he writes and tells them, you know, um, if you, there's still things you need to get straightened out, and when I come back, I'm going to check on that. Verse 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet, liveth, uh, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. So the Lord is looking for those who are weak. He can work through us. Um, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. We saw in 1 Corinthians last week and talked about that a moment. He uses those things. So he'll take the weakness and frailty of us as humans and work through it and show his strength. So uh, the power of a ministry is weakness. Seems like it's a, um, you know, it seems like it's a, a, a contradictory, but it isn't. Just as Jesus said, he'd be greatest among you, let him be servant of all. So God's way of doing things in his, his economy are completely different from the way mankind thinks. All right, let's take the scenic route for a little bit, look at some things. Chapter 1, verse 3 to 7, we says our purpose for suffering um, uh, and the purpose God um, uses uh, for suffering in our life. Verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. I love that phrase, and when I see that, it makes it reminds me of when Jesus said that He was going to send the Holy Spirit to come. One of the what He title He uses, He calls Him the Comforter. Remember, so He's the God of all comfort. Verse four: Who comforteth us in all our tribulation? And this is why: that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So the comfort that God gives us when others go through trouble, uh, we can take that comfort that strength, that encouragement, um, direction from God, and help others with that from what we've learned and been through. Verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. The word consolation, you see the word console in there, it means to come alongside and to, to help. Verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also the consolation. So according to verse 6, God can use us and other people's suffering, even when we're still suffering. He can use us in their lives. Sometimes God permits difficult people to come in our lives to give us an opportunity to express His love and patience toward them, just as the Lord has, has expressed His love and patience toward us. And so... Um, those verses are great verses about uh, being a help to others in time of trouble. So this is you know, one of the several verses in 2 Corinthians where we see that the, the theme of the book is ministry. It's a handbook. It's a, it's a textbook or, or, a, or a, a guidebook for ministry to minister to others, a manual for ministry. Chapter 4 and chapter 2, Paul makes sure we, remember, we recognize our enemy. Chapter 4, verse 4, um, he's called the small g, the God of this world. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But look at chapter 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Um, in Ephesians 6, it says, um, um, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So very similar uh, thing Paul tells them in 2 Corinthians, it talks about Satan and his devices. And so um, it, uh, he uses the same thing in Ephesians concerning our enemy. And then chapter 4, verse 4, he's called the small g, God of this world. And why is that the case? Well, we, um, we talked about Sunday uh, when we talked about the second coming of Christ, that when, the, when Jesus comes back to set up his kingdom on earth, Revelation 11 says the kingdoms of our Lord become the kingdoms of our of, uh, kingdoms, excuse me, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. When Jesus comes back again, all the kingdoms of the world will again be all his. Right now they're not. The Bible says that our enemy, who is the God of this world, um, has power and control over much of what goes on all the time uh, in our world. Uh, so if you want to look and really trace anything back to a conspiracy, 
There's your conspiracy. The God of this world. Go to Ephesians 2 with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2. Ultimately, if there's something that's a genuine conspiracy, he's going to be at the beginning of it. Chapter 2 of uh, Ephesians. This describes our life before we're saved, but it says something interesting about our enemy here in verse 2. But look at verse 1. And you have the quickened, it means to bring to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually, our spirit, our soul was dead. And when we got saved, born again, we're now alive in Christ. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's another title for our enemy, for Satan. Uh, And so he's called the God of this world. Chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against people, not against earthly powers, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So... Um, the Bible makes it very clear that he is our enemy. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, First John 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So uh, the world itself, as far as the earth and what God created, is not evil. The world system is what he's talking about, and it's defined there in 1 John, less the flesh, less the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's what our enemy uses. Nothing new. He started with Eve. She saw that fruit on the tree, right? It looked good, that it would probably taste very good. So he appealed to her, and he appealed to her by um, uh, subtracting from what God said and then adding to what God said. Uh, He said to her... um, you know, you won't die. He's taken away what God said. God said that you would that they would die. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. So he takes away. And then Eve says, um, we, sh- we should not uh, eat of it, neither should we touch it. God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat from it. So she added something to what God said, but she saw that with her eyes and desired that, um, that it would make one wise, pride of life. So those same tricks, Satan, there are three of his basic tricks he, he uses, and he just does them in different ways. And as time goes by and uh, the years go by and ages go by and centuries go by, there's just different ways of him manifesting it, but he still uses the same tricks. So that's how our enemy works. And 2 Corinthians calls him the God of this world and says that he can get an advantage over us. We don't want him to do that. And his main objective while we're on that is in chapter 4, verse 4, where we saw that he's, the Bible says he's the, the God of this world. But look what his main objective is to do. Chapter 4, verse 4. Um, in fact, back up at verse uh, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And that's a lot of people on our earth, on planet earth, a lot of people in our country, a lot of people are even right around us. It's hidden to them that are lost. How has that happened? Verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So he blinds them to the light of the gospel any way he can. Um, If he can blind them by telling them that, you know, you're a good person and your good works will be fine one day before God. Or if he blinds them to say, well, if you'll join this church or do this particular religious activity, he blinds a lot of people that way. Um, or, you know, one religion is just as good as the other. You know, just choose one. And, or you don't have to have any if you don't want one. Just He blinds them to the truth of what the gospel is all about. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus gives um, a parable about the soil and the seed and the sower, uh, the four different types of soil. The seed is, he says, and there's God's word. And here specifically, we, we know it's, uh, you know, the gospel in this passage here. But the sower, one sower sows the same seed everywhere. It's just different ground that it falls on. And then when the, um, in Matthew 13, it gives the example of the seed, being, or one, one soil, the hard soil, where the birds come in and, pl- and take it up. And so when Jesus is interpreting that and says what that means, he says, an enemy has done this. The enemy takes that seed. The enemy tries to to, uh, douse that light, to keep that light from shining, to be able to see the glorious gospel that saves. And a lot of people, unfortunately, are blinded. That's why we as believers have, you know, an uphill, it's an uphill job. 
getting the gospel to people, but they need it and they need salvation just as we needed it the day we got saved. Chapter 10, I've already kind of mentioned this, but let's go back to this um, chapter 10, verse 4, 5, and 6. I read these verses a while ago, or at least verse five and uh, verse 4 and 5. Verse 3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In other words, we live in a physical body, but our, our battle that we fight is not a physical battle with people. We saw that in Ephesians 6 a moment ago. Um, but he talks about casting down imaginations, taking our thoughts captive. So that's being on the defensive. But look what he says in verse 6, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So that's taking the offensive. That's walking in obedience as a believer. And then when these um, imaginations and thoughts come in, we have to capture those. We have to cast those down. That's taking the defensive. So um, here we see uh, the battle, the spiritual battle, that it can't be fought with natural weapons. It's a battle we face every day. Chapter 11, very similar to what we were looking at in chapter 4. Look at verse 13 to 15. For such are false apostles. So there are apostles, there were in Paul's day, and you know, the same principle is true today, but there are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. In other words, the wolf puts a sheep mask on, right? Um, verse 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He's not an angel of light. He transforms himself into one to make himself look like he's an angel, to make himself look like that is something of God when it's not. Verse 15, therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So Satan has apostles and ministers. He's a deceiver. He counterfeits. He can't do anything original. He has to counterfeit what God uh, has done. So he, he makes his own version of the gospel. He makes his own version of Christianity and, and offers it. He's a deceiver. Satan has apostles and ministers, and they also are deceivers. And Paul, um, there's a, another place in Thessalonians where Paul writes about, I think it's 2 Thessalonians, and warns them about a letter that was going around that Paul didn't write, but it was forged with his name on it that's saying that Paul wrote it when he did not. So you know, what's been going on, what was going on those days is still going on. But Paul says this is the problem because Satan is the one who deceives and he has deceivers. Chapter 11, skip down to verse uh, 23 to 30. Now, who would like to say, I want to be an apostle Paul? Let's see a little bit about him. 11, 23. Are they ministers of Christ? He's not talking about those we just looked at. He's talking about some others that were... Um, we're talking about their background. Verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. There's one thing. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Of the Jews, five times received our 40 stripes, save one. That'd be 39. He got five times. He had 39 stripes. And that was in fulfilling of the law. They could only go 39. Verse 25, thrice was I beaten with rods, three times. Once was I stoned. And, of course, we know that means stones. That's not anything else. Uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. That's in Acts 27 when he was in a shipwreck and they were all night in the water. That would be something. Verse 26. And journeys often, and perils of waters, and perils of robbers, and perils of my own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and likely they weren't voluntary, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things which were without, that which cometh on me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, who wants to be like Paul? The, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern my infirmities. And he's leading up into chapter 12 where he talks about the thorn of the flesh where he'll glory in his infirmities. I don't know. Uh, getting Paul's rewards would be nice, but how he got his rewards, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd be willing to do that, but we should be. But Right. Oh, they know that, right. They, they go through. Mm -hmm. They've seen it. And one day we'll see their reward too, that's for sure. 
Chapter 11, uh, verse 32 and 33, refers to the book of Acts, uh, um, found there in Acts. I hope I got the right chapter on that. Yes, I did. 11, uh, yeah, 11, 32 and 33. In Damascus, the governor of, um, under Aretas, the king, kept me in the city of the Damascenes. That would be a town in Damascus, which is in Syria with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. In other words, they were ready to arrest him and take him and put him in prison then. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Uh, for time's sake, we won't go there, but that happened in Acts 29, uh, 9, 24, excuse me, verse 25. That was right after Paul got saved. He'd just gotten saved just a very short time before that. And when they found out this guy that was persecuting the church, they were fine with that. When they found out he was a believer, man, they were on his trail. And so he had to be let down in a basket. Isn't that something? God uh, let him escape. Um, probably very similar to, to um, the two spies, remember, Rahab, and very similar probably to that. So um, that refers to that time in his life. So that chapter 11 is very personal and very much a bio, uh, autobiography of Paul and some of the things that he endured and went through for the cause of Christ. Okay, so he's caught up to the third heaven. I meant to go back and fill these in. Second, Second Corinthians chapter 12, someone, he says, I really think he's talking about himself, but it's possible he's talking about somebody else. But look at verse uh, 1. It is not expedient me, for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he just said, remember, he'd glory in his infirmities in chapter 11. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, over 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. So he mentions verse, that should say 12.2, not 12.3. Um, mentions someone that's caught up to the third heaven. The first heaven, of course, would be the atmosphere where the birds fly. The second heaven would be what we call outer space, where the sun, moon, stars where all that is, but the third heaven would be where God dwells. Someone got caught up in the very presence of God. And Paul says, uh, whether he's in the flesh or, or uh, in the spirit, or excuse me, out of the body or the spirit, uh, I uh, cannot tell God knoweth. And he's caught up to the third heaven. Some say that this was Paul himself, and um, I think it quite probably was. And then it says um, in verse 4, he was caught up to paradise and heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter. But here in verse 3 is where we get one of the um, or main reference about the, the fact of the, the third heaven, which is where God dwells. Uh, first heaven would be, again, the birds and so forth. And then the, what we call outer space would be the second heaven. And then when you look in Psalms, and it refers to these heavens also. Didn't, didn't get any references on that. I'll write those down. I should have. But there are several in Psalms that talk about the heavens, plural. So it would be like that. First heaven would be you know, just outside of planet Earth and the clouds. Second heaven, third heaven. Or that way, third heaven, we think of where God dwells in heaven. So, And that's another one. And that was a horrible um, transfer. It was real blurry. He said, unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of those things that God revealed, um, those verses before that. He said, unless I should really get the big head and get exalted and get real proud about that. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Uh, he repeats that phrase at the, from the beginning of the verse. And twice he says, you know, so God made sure that I couldn't get puffed up, and proud, and, you know, my head too big to go through the door. I, God, just, God, through his wisdom, he gives me this thorn in the flesh. And it's called a messenger of Satan. Um, verse 7, we, we just read it, but it's called a messenger of Satan to buffet him. When you buffet something, you keep, you hit it. You, you keep hitting it. It's a real constant reminder to him to keep from getting proud. What was it? We can only speculate. Um, some say that it was a physical infirmity, some type of sickness. Some say it was something like malaria. Some say that it was a, um, he walked with a limp. We don't know. We won't know until we get to heaven. The only speculation uh, in Scripture gives us maybe any hint of what it could be. Over in Galatians 4, in verse 15, he says this. And then I, there's another verse too that I, yeah. I didn't write down the other verse. Chapter 4, verse 15 of Galatians, he says, um, 
Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And then in chapter 6, verse 11, which I didn't put up there, he says to them and in, in, the, the believers there in Galatia, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. Well, cha six chapters is not a long letter. So what he's talking about probably is the size of the lettering that he wrote with his own hand. Because So some say that it was his eyesight. It may have been, and these verses can point that way, that that might have been part of what was going on, or the, the thorn of the flesh. We do not know exactly what it was, and there's a good reason I think the Lord wants us to not know, or doesn't want us to know. Because there are things in our life sometimes that God allows that can be a thorn in our flesh. Um, we, we know that it was allowed by God, and we know that Satan, it says it was a messenger of Satan. Uh, when you have a messenger, somebody's bringing you know, a message to you for you to know something that they want you to know. Well, it was used by Satan. God allowed it, at least allowed it, but Satan used it. So God's desire is to keep him humble. Satan's desire was to, to cause him to doubt God. But the whole time he knew this was given to me by God, he gave it to me. And because of that, I know he's keeping me humble. So... It was designed to keep him from boasting, from being exalted above measure. We know that much. Well, how can we apply it? Well, there are times in our life that prayers seem to go unanswered. You pray about something, and you pray about something, and you pray about something, and you don't, don't see an answer. Financial need or a loved one that's lost or something you're praying about, some problem, and it seems to go unanswered. Problems that seem like they have absolutely no solution. You pray about it. And it seems like there's no way through it. And God reminds us that, you know, I may not have an answer right now, but I'm going to give you the grace to get through that. People that seem unbearable. I remember um, first time that I worked at UGA many years ago, I worked with a guy that when you walked in, you had to throw your hat in first. You know, you ever worked or been around people like that? You had to throw your hat in first, see what kind of day it was going to be. And he could be a thorn in my flesh at the time, but I, it wasn't as bad as what Paul had. But anyway, people that seem just unbearable, you just cannot. Everything you do, you try to be nice to them, you just cannot um, um, get anywhere with them. Performance, I kept them all peas just to kind of alliterate. Goals that seem to be un unattainable. Uh, something that, you know, you just, the best you do is not going to please somebody. The best you do, you can never, ever be good enough. And so, you, you know, you have that performance trap you get into. Or maybe it's plans that seem to be just completely impossible. They're, you know, can't get it together, can't get it to work, and it just seems to be impossible. And so you just throw that in a heap and, you know, go on to another plan or something. But God uses these things sometimes. And there are others, too, I'm sure. But he uses things like this in our life to remind us to be uh, relying, uh, you know, to rely on him. All through 2 Corinthians, you see the word grace over and over and over. And in chapter 12, we see where Paul knew that that thorn of the flesh was for grace in his life. I'm going the wrong direction. My grace is sufficient. Then in verse 10, he says, because of that, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Remember we saw in the other chapter about weakness and the strength that comes uh, that God is able to show in our life. Verse 9, my, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Get to the point where I know that um, whatever this thorn of the flesh was for him, um, I can rely upon the power of my Savior to get me through it. Okay, quickly. Uh, our real sufficiency, chapter 3, verse 5, tells us is, is of the Lord, not of us. And then we saw where the judgment seat of Christ, uh, chapter 5, verse 10, um, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, uh, is a very important verse because it tells us as believers, because we're saved, we have been purchased. We've been bought with a price. And actually, that was a note from 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry. Um, from 1 Corinthians that I stuck in 2 Corinthians. I don't know why. But it does say in uh, verse... Um, it should be six, uh, six verse sixteen. Um, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of the living God, and that refers back to one. I'm sorry, to one verse, chapter First Corinthians, chapter six, that tells us that we are, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
chapter 10, verse 12, it gives, um, this is one of those standalone verses in Scripture. Now, you know, I tell you all the time, you're not supposed to just take a verse and run with it. But when you look in the context of what Paul's talking about here, he says this, For we, not, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Um, to compare with others, you're always going to feel inferior. So there's always going to be somebody who's uh, more talented than you, that seems better than you, seems like they've got it all together. You can always compare yourself like that, and you'll feel inferior because of it, because we're, we measure ourselves with the Lord, not with others. Then in one verse, in chapter 13, the Trinity is found in one verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second person, and the love of God, that's God the Father, first person, and the communion of the Holy Ghost, third person, be with you all. Amen. So um, those are verses, on uh, a verse that has a trinity all in one verse. Uh, let's see. So in 2 Corinthians, as we saw in 1 Corinthians and Romans, the Lord Jesus Christ is one of Paul's favorite titles that he uses for Jesus because now, after Jesus' resurrection, you see that. You see it in the book of Acts, and you especially see it in Paul's letters. It's not that he wasn't the Lord before. It's just that's a title because of the fact of his death, burial, and resurrection. Paul often calls him that, the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times when he says it, uh, right, in the, right around that verse is something to do with, uh, with his um, sacrifice for our sins or his resurrection. Chapter 1, verse 10, uh, salvation, past, present, and future. I know I'm going over I'm glad we started earlier a while ago. Chapter 1, verse 10 started early on the, on the uh, chairs, I guess. Who delivered us from so great a death, that's past tense, doth deliver, does right now, and whom we trust he will yet deliver us, and that's in the future. So salvation, past, present, and future. We're saved. We've been saved. We're, we're being delivered now from the power of sin and one day from the presence of sin. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the whole book, chapter 5, verse 7 uh, it's that short too. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Chapter 5, verse 17, which Lord willing, I'll be talking about Sunday morning a little bit uh, in our message that um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new, crea uh, new creature in Christ. We're brand new. Jesus called it being born again. Uh, we have a new, you know, our spirit's born. Uh, we're born again. In the chapter 5, verse 21, God made Jesus to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, there's the verses. There are the verses there. So um, then we talked about giving in chapter nine, and then my grace is sufficient for the things we go through in our life. Okay, I went over tonight, but anyway, Second Corinthians is a very, very full book. It has a lot of good stuff in it. So any questions or anything before we close? Comments or input? You were saying that Paul asked it often and that it wasn't necessarily voluntary. So he, he from hunger. He, yeah, he probably had to get, well, in fact, he uses hunger in there too, but he says in fastings often. So some of them were probably fastings he chose to do, but then some of them is because he wasn't anything to eat anywhere. Well, I mean, when he was out there in the water for that day, there was nothing there to eat. So um, some of it was probably because of hunger that he just wasn't near any food at the time. So he knew what it was to hunger and Go through all that other suffering and hurt and pain physically as well as emotionally. All right, anything else? I have a prayer request. Okay. Um, Roseanne wrote me and said that Ellie has a head to toe rash in 101.4 feet. Oh, no. Okay. So, and she's in a picture. I knew Sunday she had pink eye, so yeah. it must have developed into. Yeah. Okay. And she got braces today. Did she really? How about that? Well, let's stay in closing prayer. Let's pray for Ellie as we close and we'll dismiss. If you can stay another couple of minutes, we'll try to get some more of this. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us and thank you for the time tonight to open your word. There's so much in your word and this book of 2 Corinthians, Lord, is such a wonderful book, a very personal book as Paul writes it. And there's so much in there to go back and reflect on and meditate on, Lord. I pray that you'll help us as we grow in your word day by day. Um, to gain spiritual strength for our daily walk, Lord, to serve you and live for you. Um, we do lift up Ellie to you tonight. We pray that you'll be with her, that that uh, fever will will ease up and subside, and the um, infection that she's been dealing with, Lord, pray that that will clear up very soon, um, that you'll watch over and be with her, Lord. She'll be better soon. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.